0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to have a little bit of sun today, even if it's still cold. We're still stuck in the dead of winter, but the days are getting longer, so that is good. Little by little, we'll work our way towards spring. Uh, Before we get started here, would you bow your heads with me and we're going to pray? Lord, we're so thankful for this chance to come together today and to worship you, to hear you speak to us. Lord, I pray that uh, on this day of, of rest, this day when we come to worship you and adore you, that, that you would speak to us. Lord, as, as we just sung, speak, O Lord, into our hearts and minds. That we would leave here transformed and changed as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a, uh, a picture of a place called Wedding Rock. It's in Australia. Australia. Um, I have not been here. I don't know who that person is. It's just a free photo I got on, uh, online. Uh, maybe we can arrange a mission trip there one day. Um, it's called Wedding Cake Rock because it kind of looks like a wedding cake, right? I mean, it's this beautiful, totally smooth, it looks like layers of fondant that have just been poured over this beautiful cliff. It's like 150 feet above uh, the ocean. It's absolutely beautiful. The only problem is it's uh, it's made of sandstone, and sandstone crumbles. And this cliff, like I said, it's about 150 feet above the ocean, and these cracks here are... Do you see all these? I don't know if you can see them quite there. She looks blissfully unaware of these enormous (laughs) crevices forming here, and they have drone footage, I couldn't, I didn't have the right to show you this photo, but they have drone footage of the cliff from the ocean side. And you can see this huge part of the cliff right next to this is already crumbled into the ocean. The underneath part of this is crumbling away. I mean, everything about this screams, do not go out there. So, you know, the government has put up uh, these, these fences and warning signs. And what does everyone do? They just clamber over the fence and go right out there and take the photo anyway, right? And I can't really, it would be hypocritical of me to be like, "I shame on that woman for doing that. Because if you looked at our photos from our trip to the Grand Canyon last summer, (laughs) you might be like, "Um, are you supposed to be out there? And it's just, you know, as humans, we just have this this bizarre uh, overconfidence when it comes to Risk, right? Like, we're standing there and we're thinking, well, look, the people in front of me, they were fine. And the people who are here yesterday, they were fine. And I've been weeding here for like 10 whole minutes and nothing's happened. So the chances of anything going wrong at this moment are very slim. And even if something did, like if the rock started to collapse, like I'm just positive it would be moving slowly enough and my reflexes would be so quick that I would just be able to leap. To safety, I'm sure I could save myself. No one's laughing at that. I guess that's just me. <laughs> that's the way I think, at least when I'm doing this uh, and telling my kids not to do it. And this is all well and good when it comes to cliffs and the cool photos and everything else. We do this all the time spiritually, with things of God, right? We we read about the words of judgment, a coming judgment for sin. And yet we continue to toy around with temptation and to play around the edges of sin, convincing ourselves, well, I don't know if that's really going to happen. I mean, sure, yeah, God's coming back one day eventually, but it's been like 2,000 years already. I mean, what if it's another 2,000? I'm pretty, probably not even going to be here. But one of the central messages of Second Peter is that one day this sort of cliff, so to speak, is going to collapse. Jesus is coming back. He will return in all his glory. All will be revealed. Right? Evil will be revealed and punished and judged. This is like, it's a fact. It's hardwired. It's baked into the system that God has created. It's unalterable. And yet we keep going on about our business as if, well, I don't know. I mean, is it really going to happen? And this was apparently more or less the kind of thing that these false teachers, Peter's addressing in his letter, were were saying. Like, like you know, all this stuff about Jesus' return, it sounds like myths. It sounds like something you made up, honestly. I mean, why, why not just eat, drink, and, and be merry? And Peter says... It matters. It really matters. Jesus is coming back. There is going to be a judgment, and all that effort and hard work really does make a difference, not just now, but for all of eternity. That's the purpose of this letter. That's why Peter is writing this letter. And so with that in mind, as we look at our passage today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting uh, verses 12 through 21. And the main point of our passage today is this. Ensure that you are established in the truth. Ensure that you are established in the truth. Now to help us with this today, I have three challenges for you. We're going to look at three challenges from the text and the first challenge is this: stir each other up. So if you have your Bibles here, I'll turn with me to 1st Peter chapter 1. Let's read together starting uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 15 first. 2nd Peter, not 1st Peter, that would help. Therefore, Peter knows that his death is imminent. He's getting older, so maybe that was part of it. Uh, He's also living in Rome under the emperor Nero. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He's an evil, unstable emperor, and no doubt it it, it didn't take a genius to see the writing on the wall at that time, to, to see persecution closing in all around him. But more than that... Peter had the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. We had that recorded at at the end of the Gospel of John, where Jesus predicts that Peter will be martyred for his faith. And that day now seems to be drawing near, which is why Peter is so fired up in this letter. Because none of us get to live forever. None of us do. And when time begins to run out, the intensity level goes up. All right. So to illustrate this, I'm going to pause here. I need, I need four, uh, actually we'll do six volunteers. We're going to play a game. Let me tell you what it is before you volunteer. Uh, we're going to play a game. It's called Face the Cookie. Um, some of you have probably seen this on YouTube or maybe already played it. You're going to Try and get the cookie. It's going to be balanced on your forehead, and you have to wiggle it down into your mouth, and the most cookies in 60 seconds win. So we're going to have two teams of two, and then one helper on each team. And let's say sort of, uh, all right, Kai, is that your hand up over there? Or, no, As a hand next to Kai. Oh, I can't see who that is, but okay, sure. We'll have, um, no, you're too old, Gabe. So you, all right, Bray. great. Rush, you want to come up? Sure. Ray, Rush, do we got Tor? Come on. Elsa? You want? It's cookies. It's Oreos. It's awesome. All right. Is that Greta or Grace? I kind of, my eyes are so bad. Okay. Greta, why don't you come up? And then uh, who else? Oh, Elsa? Uh, there's a boy over here. Oh, yeah. Why don't you come up? Is that enough? How many people? All right, come up. We, you guys can sit here. You can be a team, and all right. Okay, and then, here, why? Yeah, here, hop up here. We three over here, and he, who's going to be our our cookie volunteers on this side? Great, uh, you can help, and then over there. So, you're gonna, when you come over here, you're just gonna stand here because undoubtedly a lot of these are gonna end up on the floor. You're gonna help your team to win. Okay, so you're gonna balance it on your forehead. So, you're gonna lean back a little bit, and then I'm gonna start a timer. And then you've got no hands, okay? So, you gotta wiggle it down your face using just your face muscles into your mouth. The moment it hits your mouth, you don't have to eat the whole cookie. Just take it out and put it in the bowl. All right, you get that? Wiggle it down, no hands, put it in the bowl. You're going to help. When they fall on the ground, you're going to pick them back up so they have plenty to work with. And at the end of 60 seconds, the team with the most cookies in the bowl wins. And you get to eat all those half-eaten cookies already. So it's going to be awesome. All right. Let me get my timer started here. Okay. Hold on. There we go. All right. You guys know what you're doing? i got to find the mouse here. There we go. Are you ready? You ready? All right. Ready, set, go. Oh, hold on. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see if we can do this again. Oh, it's not working. Hold on, hold on. That's a practice trial. That is impressive. There we go. I rescued you. Well, Steve works on this. Hold on. We tried this before, and it was working. So let's see if we can get this going. Oh. All right, I can just do a timer. I thought it'd be. All right. I don't want to waste too much time on that. So let me, I can just do it on here. I will set a timer on here. All right, one minute, okay, starting now. Yeah, don't worry. Come on, cheer them all. Okay, this side of the room, you gotta cheer for these guys here. This side for these guys. Just put it on the table. Oh, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, oh, okay, that counts. Put it in there. Wait, how many? They think of. Well, no, no, no hands, no hands, no hands. All right, we got 20 seconds. Come on. 14 seconds. Are they using their hands over here? Okay, no hint. Four, three, two, one. All right. All right, how many do we have over here? Two. Two, okay, that's that's respectable. They have like a hundred over here. How did, you, you just like dump the whole packet in here? I think I only got one. Oh, they, for real, it's only one? Okay. All right, you can use your hands now. This is awesome. Thank you. All right, a round of applause for these guys here, our winners. And you can all have an Oreo. And you can pass out the um, lightly used Oreos to the team. That's great. Good work. All right. Back to the sermon here. That was just a break so people could get uh, some Arios. So all that intensity. Like, like You're playing a game like this, and it's intense. The seconds are ticking down. If we'd had that clock timer, you would have seen it. And as the clock is running out, the intensity level goes up. And Peter, he sees the sand coming down through that hourglass. The moments, the, the running out of time. And Peter's intensity is high because he doesn't want to miss any opportunity he has. Except, it's not like about Peter. He doesn't have some bucket list like, oh, I really hoped I could do like the swim with the dolphins experience before I die. It's like, he's a pastor. His main concern is for his sheep. He doesn't want them to miss this. And especially because false teachers seem to be leading them astray, Threatening to undo all the hard work that Peter and the other apostles and disciples have done. He's using every last moment he has available to him to ensure that they're established in the truth. That's verse 12. He wants them to be established in the truth. So Peter's death is near and he's fired up, but look at verse 15 here. Uh, verse 15, right? What are these things that Peter is talking about? These things. I want you to recall these things. He says in verse 12, these qualities. It's basically everything that Pastor Michael preached about two weeks ago in the previous verses, right? Faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and all these things. If you want to be fruitful and effective as followers of Jesus, you have to grow in these areas. This is a big deal for Peter. Look, three times in, in four verses, I intend always to remind you of these things. I think it right to stir you up by way of reminder. I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall all these things. Now That word, stirred up, it sounds kind of weak in English, but it's like, it's like the most annoying alarm clock. It's like, I want to wake you up. He's not like, hey, hey, everyone, um... Don't forget these things. It's like, don't forget. Like, it's a big deal. Wake up. Get your head in the game. That's what he wants to do, to help them recall everything that they've taught and learned. And he does this because at first, they're under the attack of these false teachers who are telling them, hey, basically, go back to sleep. It's fine. Jesus isn't coming back. Peter, it's just way too intense, like the apostles, they just need to chill out. That's one reason he's fired up. Second reason is because, look, all of us tend to drift spiritually without constant effort. It's like you can be pedaling your bike as fast as you want to go, and the moment you stop pedaling, I mean, you can coast for a while, but that bike slowly, 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 eventually it's going to come to a dead stop. And the same is true spiritually. That's why he keeps saying, I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. I, I want to leave everything in place so that when I'm gone, you can recall all these things. Now, obviously, there is a ton about our faith that is personal and private, right? That, you know, My private devotional times, my quiet time with God, and I'm praying with the Lord. But we have this fantastic example here of of the benefit and the blessing of community, right? We need each other. I need other people in my life to do this work for me, to stir me up, to keep me from falling asleep, to keep me from getting distracted, from from losing track of where I am. Now, we as pastors, we, we get to do this for a little bit on a Sunday morning for like 30, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it is, however long we feel like going on. Um, and you're going to leave here, and all that challenge and fire and zeal, it's going to dissipate. And by tomorrow morning, it's going to be gone. You need other people in your life who are going to stir you up. Uh, I, like if you're married, like a spouse, a husband, a wife, a uh, kids your brothers and sisters God's given them to you as a gift to stir each other up friends parents or flip it around who who are you stirring up in their faith who are you helping to remember and to recall all these things that you've learned and taught let's be a community a body of uh, of believers that supports and encourages and helps each other to grow, that presses into this goal, united by the blood of Christ, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would be established in the truth, stirred up in our faith. Okay, so moving along, the second challenge for us today is this, to live differently differently. To live differently because Jesus is coming back. What's the first thing you do when you're getting ready to go out to eat, right? Well, there may be many things. I'll just tell you. what well, my first thing is after I'm looking on Yelp or whatever it is, and I want to, I want to look at the reviews, right? I want to know what did other people have to say about their experiences here. I can go to the website. I can see the beautiful photoshopped images and. Amazing-looking menu, but I want to see real photos. <laughs> like, what does the food actually look like? How does the service actually feel? Like, what was it like to be there? Because that eyewitness testimony is everything. Think about it, And not much has changed over time. Look in your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke, right? Luke is dedicated to rooting out, to finding all the eyewitness testimony to the life of Jesus, or, or think about um, Thomas, right? He wanted to see and touch with his own hands. And here in this letter, Peter goes to great lengths to remind his readers. He's like, "I was there. I, I was there. I, I, I walked with Jesus. I talked with him. He was like a, a real physical presence with me. all this stuff, like it was real. It really happened. On the holy mountain. There is so much packed into these verses. First, Peter is not trying to sort of defend his uh, apostolic authority here. I mean, he could have picked a bunch of other passages to do that. This is not about Peter. This is really about Jesus. That's the focus of this testimony. And specifically, here, this is about the promise of his return. Now, I know this is a bit subtle, but I want you to look with me here at verse 16. So, um, if you go too fast, you're going to miss this. So, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, that phrase... When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go too quickly, it sounds like, right, like he's talking about something that happened in the past. But these words here, it's actually um, the, 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 the Greek word here for coming is parousia. Parousia. Some of you have maybe heard that word before. It appears 24 times. In the New Testament, and 19 of those refer to the future coming, the future return of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but until this week, I'd never seen that in this passage at all. I was like, oh, well, you know, we weren't making it up when we told you about all that stuff that happened with Jesus and his life and ministry. I'm like, which of course they weren't, but that's not his point. He's saying, look, We weren't making this up when we told you that one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back in the parousia with power. When we told you about that, we weren't making that up. The false teachers may be saying he's not coming back. We weren't making that up. Now it's confusing because his evidence for that is he then looks back and says, and the reason we weren't making that up is because I was there at the transfiguration. And it's kind of like, okay, wait, how do those two connect? I mean, like if you wanted to talk about Jesus' power, wouldn't you talk about like uh, the resurrection maybe or the ascension? You know, like those seem like pretty big deal. Why, why the transfiguration? Well, this is, this is really cool. I, I'd never seen this before. And honestly, it took a while for all this to sink in. But when you go back and you look at the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all share the same chronology of events here. And this is amazing. So right before the transfiguration, right, Jesus says, who do, you, who do the people say that I am? Peter's like, uh, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, right? All three Gospels have the same event. Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the one. Jesus is like, yes, spot on, good job. On you, I'm going to build my church. Great. And then he goes on, and he, Jesus talks about his coming, death, and resurrection. Crucifixion. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, hold on, wait a second. That, that's not what I was expecting. And Jesus is like, no, actually, uh, you're wrong, Peter. And then he goes on to say, um, uh, in those passages, he says, look, if, if, uh, if anyone would follow me, he must take up his cross and, and follow me. Right? And why would you do that? Because if anyone wants to save his life, if anyone seeks to uh, save his life, he's going to lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will save it. All three Gospels, the same exact chronology. And then he says, and the reason... It's because one day I'm coming back in power and glory and with God's angels around me. Do you see? It's, it's amazing. And then, right after that, in all three Gospels, it goes straight into the transfiguration. They go up on the mountain, and what happens? God says, this is my Son, my beloved Son, the one in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. It's like, yeah, everything Jesus just said Yes, like yes and double yes. And let me give you a glimpse of the glory in which he's going to return. Let me uh, reveal that to you. Let me bestow that honor on Jesus here so you can catch a glimpse of that power and that glory that will be his when he returns. And I think that's why for Peter, when he's thinking about the return of Christ, the most obvious event for him reference is the transfiguration this moment when jesus when god says this is my son when he affirms that jesus is going to come back and that in the meantime we're called as he says in all three gospels to take up our cross and follow him why because it matters because jesus is returning and Peter's making the same point here. Live differently now because Jesus is coming back. Now I know uh, taking up your cross, following Jesus, these are kinds of slippery terms. They don't hold a lot of clear, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up my cross for Jesus. But what does that mean? Like you need, I need, you need to live for Jesus. Okay? Bra, like, but how? One idea right out of Second Peter here, we looked already, Peter's talked about the things I want you to be established in, these qualities, these things I've taught you about. I want you to spend some time this week looking at these qualities that Peter gives in, in verses 5 through 11, you know, steadfastness, self-control, earnest brotherly love, earnestness. I want you to pray through that list and ask God, Lord, reveal to me the qualities here that I, one quality, just one, that I need to be working on. And then, I want you to come up with, like, okay, what are three, let's say self-control. Okay, now what are three things that I can be working on specifically over the coming months, maybe between now and like Easter or something? where I can be growing in this area of self-control, in the way that I speak, or the way that I act, or the way that I, my, my heart responds to other people, whatever it is. Go through these qualities, pray for God to reveal one that he wants you to work on, and then come up with three things concretely you could be working on over this coming months. Jesus is coming back. It's a fact that cannot be changed or debated or argued away. The question is how does that going to impact your life here and now? All right, one final challenge here from this passage. Pay attention to God's word. Pay attention to God's word. It's our guide until Jesus returns. Uh, Psalm 119 says, "Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." Now, last summer, I've already mentioned we did this big camping trip out west. These states are enormous—Wyoming, Utah. And once you get off the highways, there's no street lights. There's no anything. I mean. <laughs> like maybe an odd farm or a cow or something. And at night, it is like pitch black. If there's no moon, it is just dark, dark, dark. And so we're driving along, and it's like beyond the, the reach of the headlamps, there's like nothing. <laughs> it's like I don't know if the road's going left or right or up or down, or who knows what's out there. It could be a cliff over here. It's a little bit scary. We, ha- we need that light, right? And we've all been there, maybe not in Utah, but, but on the camping trip that we do in the fall, fall, right? It's exciting to be somewhere where there's no light at night, and it's dark, and you have to use your flashlight to find your way around. But in the Bible, darkness is almost always something negative, it symbolizes death. It's a cover for sin and temptation, and in the New Testament, in particular, darkness becomes a symbol for the the spiritual blindness of a world that has rejected God and chosen to worship idols instead. This is the world that Peter then addresses in uh, his, these verses, starting in verse 19. He says, we ourselves, um, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He knows, Peter knows that his readers are living in a dark world, spiritually speaking. A world filled with evil and injustice, where might makes right, where the weak are abused and oppressed, where the powerful and the unrighteous seem to prosper, A world that refuses to humble itself before God. A world that chooses to live in slavery to sin instead. A world which calls evil good and good evil. A world that sounds an awful lot like ours today, where people delight, delight in coming up with new ways of doing evil to themselves. And to other people. And it's in that same dark world that we are called to follow Jesus. But just like we needed those those headlamps to guide us in the desert last summer, we need light to guide us on this journey as we follow Jesus. And Peter says right here in his word good news, you've got it already. In God's word, the prophetic word, as he calls it in verse 19. Now this phrase, uh, more fully confirmed, it's a little confusing, right? It, it sounds like maybe Peter's trying to pit his personal testimony of Jesus uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration against Scripture, but I don't think that's what he's doing here at all. That would, that would completely undermine everything that he just said about the significance of his eyewitness testimony. He's not saying one is better than the other. He's saying the Old Testament prophecies, all of them that talked about the coming day of the Lord, they've been confirmed by what I saw, by, by what I heard God say about his Son, Jesus Christ, when he bestowed honor and glory on his Son, that affirmed everything that we've read before. The Old Testament prophecies, all of them pointed forward to this day. And the point here being Jesus is for sure, for sure going to return. First, Peter says, because look, I was there, I saw this happen and second, because we have God's word. We have these prophecies and promises of Scripture laid out for us. We still live in a very dark world. Evil and sin that are like pressing in on us from all sides. But the good news is that until that day dawns, we have the gift of God's word. To guide us. Now, how can how is it that they're that, that just words printed on a piece of paper? How can these be like a light or, or a lamp to our path? Well, verse verses 20 and 21, Peter makes clear, he says, Look, these are not just the words of men. These are the words of God Himself, spoken through men, but as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God, you may wonder, well, how exactly did that happen? God doesn't explain that for us. We know that these words are fully and completely the words of these human authors with all of their uh, unique cultural and linguistic backgrounds, all their own vocabulary and words, and at the same time, completely, absolutely, decisively, the words of God himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God, holy, infallible, and powerful. These these words have, have power to change our lives. They should change you. It should help you to see the world around you in a new light. Because when God speaks, life comes into existence, right? Just through his words, life comes into existence. The dead are raised to life. The the blind see, the lame walk. Hearts are changed. Now, I know that may not describe your average morning devotional time, right? (laughs) Right? But you should be coming to this book knowing, expecting, planning to be changed, to, to receive power from God, or to be bowled over by the power of God, right? to, to receive encouragement and, and healing and hope, or to be convicted of sin and, 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 and led to repentance. But without God's Word in your life, you're going to be stumbling around in the darkness. we like trying to drive through that desert in Utah with the headlights turned off. I don't know about you. I, I need this kind of power in my life. I like guess just too much mess in me, in my life, to go it alone in the dark. Too many anxieties, too many hang-ups, too many fears. Too, many, uh, too much sin that I'm wrestling with, too much stress, too many balls that I'm trying to juggle at the same time. Or even all these challenges in Peter, right? That's all biblical. It's all solid. I'm like, yeah, I need to grow in all these things. I need to be more diligent. I need to stir each other up. I, I, I need to do all these things. All of that, I, I need God's power to do this. And that's what God offers us through his word right? Help for all these burdens that I'm carrying around. Reading this is not going to make everything magically go away, but he gives us light. He gives us life. He gives us power and strength to live in this darkness in ways that I can't even fully explain or understand. All I know is that in this world, I often feel like I am Walking in a dry and weary land where there is no water and I need the life-giving water of Jesus Christ in my life. There's so much more in this this text, in this passage that, that we could talk about, but there's already more application here than our hearts can handle. But let's commit this week as a church to be people who stir each other up into action, people who live differently in light of who Jesus is, people who who uh, who are eager to pay attention to God's Word given to us by the Holy Spirit for our blessing and encouragement and help, and all in full confidence of the fact that Jesus is going to come one day and come back one day. All evil is going to be punished. Judgment will be passed on the wicked and the unrighteous. But the righteous will be vindicated. The creation will be restored. And we ourselves will be made new. Amen? Amen. And to all of that, I say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we... we We just pray that right now. Look, come, Lord Jesus. This world is dark. Our our burdens are so many and so heavy There's so much evil, so much struggle, so much suffering in our own lives. Lord, help us to cling tightly to this promise of your return in power and glory. Help us, Lord, to stir each other up into action. And Lord, speak to us powerfully through your Word. Lord, help us to eagerly cling tightly to your Word as a light shining in the darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.